Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California. It's so nice to see people in person, finally. I'm Denise Michaud, Chair of the Grown Notes Forum, and we are so excited to have Dr. Ayati here today. Um, during the end of the program, we'll have time for your questions. And uh, if you are viewing online, then we encourage everyone to type in their questions. Um, and I have someone who is will monitor those questions online and send them to me in a text in my phone. <laughs> so we'll try to cover everybody. <laughs> so let me introduce Dr. Ayati. He is well-known nationally and internationally in the field of geriatric medicine. He's a physician, speaker, author, and an educator. He is a faculty member at Stanford and an advisor for the Stanford Center on Longevity. He is also a geriatric consultant at the Stanford Research Institute. He is the co-author of the book, Paths to Healthy Aging. And he is an educational speaker. You'll hear him on NPR and locally KQED. And in Washington, D.C., he advises the Senate Subcommittee on Aging. And he educates them and discusses aging and the challenges that we all face now and in the, that we will face in the future. <laughs> so please welcome Dr. Ayabi. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I'm so glad to be here. I just shared that this is my first trip to San Francisco after the pandemic, and I'm so excited, and thanks to Commonwealth Club to make this opportunity that I'll be here. No, um, I'm going to turn on my um, uh, timer because I'm a chatty person, and I know that I don't want it to um, take you for a long time. I know there is uh, jazz also upstairs, and everybody's waiting to get there. No. Um, um, and my topic is probably going to be the most boring one. But uh, let's just talk about healthy aging. It's just uh, um, it's a very simple topic. At the same time, it's very challenging because nobody really is straightforward has any answer that what is exactly healthy aging. Because um, there are a lot of the things that they, the people discuss. I first am going to start with the point that everybody knows that um, uh, the globally the population is aging. It's the number of aging population is growing rapidly. Um, and what we see, especially um, after Second World War, that all around the world, the number of people actually is 65 years older, which is a definition we just say old, older adult population. Um, because a lot of people have a definition of aging. The people think when you turn, when you get turned to 65 and you apply for Medicare means that you're old or you're aging. It doesn't mean anything. Aging is started from the first minute of life. When the babies from first year of life to second year of life, they age already one year. Aging is a process. It's a physiology process that we see in our body. And, but when it comes to older adult population, which is going to be my specialty as geriatric, Yes, the number of the people 65 years old is, is growing. I have some of the numbers. I mean, good old days that I was able to memorize all of them. But um, and, uh, we know that according to United Nations in 2020, almost around close to 10% of population is gonna, was actually became age 65 years old. We had 
um, a massive mortality in aging population, unfortunately, due to pandemic, especially in Europe. But even with that number, we still have um, this grow for the for the next year. From 1950 to 2020, the number of people from 65 years older from almost like a 62 millions is actually tripled to 250 million. And we are expecting in 2050, um, we're going to get a maximum number all around the world in developed countries as, and also in developing countries. And um, there are many reasons for that. I mean, definitely a lower fertility rate happened, especially after Second World War. That's why we have um, um, uh, and a lot of the countries, especially you see right now, the highest number of aging population actually in China because of the policy of the one child for years. That's why the number of the people are getting older is actually higher. But overall, um, three countries right now has the highest number of aging population. China is number one, is 172 million, followed by India, which is 90 million, and USA is 55 million. And it, but technically, when we look at the estimation of the um, overall, the number of the uh, of population and what is the number of the population is actually older The Europe. 19 countries from Europe is actually have the highest number. At least one-fifth of their populations are older or 65 years older. And as you know, there's always been like a competition between Germany, Italy, who's number one, who's number two. But technically, right now, there's only country from Asia in that 20 list is Japan. Japan is actually facing a significant growth of aging population and followed by Italy and Portugal. But technically, th these are the numbers that we see right now. And um, and it just it, interesting about U.S. population, because as you know, U.S. population is aging rapidly. The baby boomers, the people are uh, technically born in 1946 um, and 1964, they become turning 65 in 2011. And in 2029, which is now we're reaching to 2023, uh, six years from now, um, the youngest uh, uh, person of the baby boomers will turn 65. And that's, that's something that we see in the United States. And technically in 2025, one from five American will be 65 years older. That's as far as the numbers that we're going to see in the, in the next 10 years. And according to U.S. Census Bureau, the projects in 2044, other things is happening. Minority population will s surpass the number of the current of the majority of aging population, which is white, non-Hispanic. As you know, Hispanic population will be the number one aging population by 2040. And this is probably going to be, um, uh, a majority of them will be 85 years older. That's as far as a number. Now, a lot of the countries, like for example, in Asia, China, especially India, um, they see a massive um, um, aging population, but at the same time, the economy is growing and uh, the children right now, they, they were, they're always taking care of their parents traditionally. They can't do it anymore because they have to go to work. That's the economy. And that's why there's going to become also a challenge for these governments. I'm not an economist. I'm not a politician. I'm just a geriatrician. But I just, as far as I hear from the other countries, that they have a lot of problem with building infrastructures to taking care of their aging population. This is the way the world is going. Now, um, I will, be, I will back about this number, why this is important to discuss about this, that why, while we actually have this, especially um, knowing that developed countries also have a large number of aging population, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us right now in the United States? And I will discuss about it later. Now, let's talk about life expectancy, which is just important to a lot of people talk about it. 
according to the latest one in 2017, technically the average life expectancy is something around 79.7 years, 82 years old for women, around 70, 78, 77 for men. Uh, but it's actually it's very interesting because the life expectancy in men is growing, which is we actually see that in 2060, uh, men will gain six years of life expectancy. Women will gain five years, 5.3 years in life expectancy. Almost this, this two um, uh, will be equal. Now, it's very interesting because we see the life expectancy. A lot of people, I hear someone is saying that who doesn't want it to live longer? And that's a, good, that's a very important question because a lot of my, the patients, they come and ask me that what should I do to live longer? But it's in a lot of, now, now, a lot of argue here is that do we want it to live longer or do we want it to live independent as long as we can? And that's a very important question because a lot of times you say, okay, I don't want it to live five years. I just want to live for another year, but I don't want it to be dependent on anyone. And I don't want it the less of four years. Because if I will be dependent, that is really going to uh, impair my quality of life. And that's a very uh, important question. But I have the other side. A lot of people say, I don't care. I want to be dependent, but I just wanted to live longer. I wanted to make it to 120 or 130 years old. Um, it's, it's very difficult. Because, but one what, what thing that I wanted to say that interesting when we look at the developed countries, including us, that when we see aging population, and what we have as far as like resources, infrastructures, as far as what we have, again, I'm, I'm a geriatrician. I'm look, I'm, my point of view is from a physician's side, a geriatrician. I'm looking at the healthcare. Um, and, and when I look at the other area of the world, that the people live longer, especially I'm talking about traditional societies. I'm originally coming from traditional society. I'm coming from Middle East, from Iran. And I know, and I raise and grow up there, and I just can see the difference between quality of life of older adult people in the traditional society. They don't have any access to all the advanced medical care that we have here. It's not like here that you, for example, if I want to order for you a blood test, I can order you tonight electronically. You go tomorrow to the lab, and you can do tons of comprehensive blood tests. I can send electronically prescription to the pharmacy, and you can pick it up tonight or tomorrow. They don't have any of these resources, but they have longer longevity. And that's very interesting. How is that? They have actually longer years of uh, independency. And that's the very diff this is exactly the topic that I wanted to talk tonight. Now, when, we, when, we, when you look at the intern uh, internet, you look at the national geography and all this stuff, you're talking about the blue zones area, probably here. There are like uh, um, uh, uh, the areas that uh, people living almost like late 90, life expectancy is actually around the 100. Most of them, they're centenaries, and they live in the longer years. Like places like Okinawa in Japan, Sardinia in Italy, um, Costa Rica, Greece, Loma Linda, California. And they always says, why these people are living longer? Do they have a better medical care? No. Absolutely not. Do they have geriatrician? Absolutely no. They're so lucky. They don't have. But uh, um, do they have more MRI or CT scan or more operating room? They don't. They're always saying that they have very basic principles of the healthy aging, which is not only for the time when you enroll in Medicare. It's a time that you, you're born and you just grow up with that move naturally, eat healthy. It's just so easy. Everybody can know that. It, and, and, it's so, and if I wanted to have a healthy aging, everybody knows. You need to do exercise. Uh, don't eat too much, but eat very well. Healthy diet. And um, again, but the most important part, which I 
which I found it in these places, that they have a lot of social support. They have a lot of, they have a strong community. And I can tell you as a person, again, raised and grew up in the, in the t- traditional society, that was exactly the key when I was looking for my, and my grandparents and even my parents. They're so close to each other. They are, they're always in, in, in traction with each other. They always talk to each other. And that's, that's very important. And they also see this support from everybody, from neighbor, from, from family, from relatives. And this is exactly what the, all the scientists are looking at this area and this uh, Blue Zones area. And they, they see, oh, this is, the, this is why they actually live longer. Now, when it comes to me, um, definitely we have a lot of things that we still don't have. Like, for example, let me just say about my, my work as a geriatrician. Um, geriatric medicine is kind of like a rare specialty. You probably know when you, when you get to a primary care specialty, you need to do subspecialty in geriatric medicine. And we only have like 6,000 geriatricians right now board certified in the country, and many of them in the next 10 years will be retired. And, and, and the other problem is many of them not working in all the – basically working in more um, veteran hospital and the other uh, um, um, uh, healthcare industry, and that's what many of them is actually in research and not clinical. Um, now, just one of the questions is here. If we have a, a, if we have a U.S. – we talk about in 2051, from five Americans will be 65 years older. Even right now, we have aging population. Do we provide training for our healthcare provider, including physician, nurses, pharmacists, physical therapists, social worker, to have any training related to the aging? And the answer is absolutely no. Do you know how many, how, how much is actually in the medical schools? curriculum in the United States, they learn something about aging, just learning about aging physiology and something about aging population. Do you have any idea? One month? Two weeks? Very generous. Yeah. One week. Four hours. A total of the four years of medical school in the United States, they all learn everything about aging population. Four. And think about these medical students will be different specialists. Some of them will be dermatologists. Some of them will be cardiologists. Some of them will be orthopedic surgeon. And the amount of they know about aging population is only four hours. And what about the primary care physician? That they go into internal medicine, family medicine, residency. A total, probably a week or two. In a very generous program, maybe a month. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe two months. The entire three years of residency. And why, why this is important? Because, important because when we, when we age, a lot of things is going to change. A physiology is going to change. We're not going to be the same person. Even when we are 65, we're not the same person when we are 60. Because everything in our body is changing. Metabolism is changing. Our enzyme is changing. And a body mass is changing. Muscle mass is going to be shrinking. We're not going to metabolize medication the same way that we were metabolizing even two years ago. A lot of time, a lot of people come and ask me, I, I've taken this blood pressure medication for 20 years. Why do you want to change it? And I said, well, is the, is the manufacturing of this medication changed? No, you have changed. Your metabolism has changed, and you're not able to tolerate this medication anymore. 
But that's very important because you need to understand why. I don't want to go on details about the physiology of aging, but yeah, it's true. As, as, as we're getting older, our muscle mass is shrinking. The first wrinkle that we see in our face and our body is the sign of the muscle mass is shrinking. And when the muscle mass is shrinking, means and also water contents of our body is actually drop, means that many medications that they are what we call hydrophilic, they like water to be metabolized, they're going to be less active to be metabolized. A lot of medication that they need muscle mass to kind of like get metabolized or get into the, to the receptors, they're not there anymore. That's why we're going to see more side effects of medications when we're getting older. But there is a problem here. Not only we're not spending, but even in the research, it's a significant um, lack of research about aging population, Most, uh, even, even when it comes to pharmaceutical. When it comes to pharmaceutical, you, you, are, you know about the development of the drugs. The drugs go exactly like a vaccine, phase one, phase two, phase three, and then goes to phase four, which is after market. But when it's phase three, which is going to be they're going the trial of medication, what's the populations that the pharmaceutical company can find 85 years older and they try the medication on this population. Anybody volunteer 85 years older, wanted to go to do the experimental one of the pharmaceutical? Anybody at the age of 90 years old wants to do that? No. The answer is no. And that's why we don't know. A lot of time, I'm as a physician, we don't know the side effect in older aging population. We just try, and then we just see that what happened. And that's the reality about the even, even development of the drugs. And then... The one thing that is so important that we understand, it's about um, mentality when it comes to the aging population. We were just talking with Denise about that. I mean, one of the, one of the struggle that we have when it comes to modern medicine, especially, as I said, the difference between the traditional society, we really don't have any access to a lot of um, 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 diagnostic and therapeutic uh, tools that we have. Um, Again, when it comes to the modern medicine, the way that I have been trained as a doctor is always do diagnostic and therapeutic. I always wanted to find a diagnosis and find a solution. Is it the pills or a procedure? This is, this is all. I never look at the patient or person as a whole person and I say, you know what, let's just not do any diagnostic. Maybe watch and wait. It's actually a good protocol. It's not a bad protocol. Maybe we can watch and wait to see how the thing's going to go. I don't necessarily need to give you a prescription to just make you happy. And I just say, oh, that's a very doctor. Yeah, he's a good doctor. He gave me a prescription. And I just said, and fill that prescription, start to taking. You end up side effect, and you come back to me. And then just, and, and again, I just want to say that that should be something that we change, even in the training of our physician or even, um, even in the future, because we have more aging population with a lot of changes in their body. Now, modern medicine dictates us to always find a quick fix. Something that I just give you to make you happy. As something that I just prescribe and send you to the pharmacy. Okay, well, this is, this is my job. I've done. Go to pharmacy, pick it up, see me two months, and make an appointment when you're living. Um, and this, is, this becomes a routine medicine. Now, let me, let me tell you about that because um, I wanted to uh, bring up a story. Actually, I wrote a story in San Francisco Chronicle years ago. Um, and that was, that was a real story that happened to one of, one, of, one, of, one of the time when I was in Stanford Clinic. There was a lady came with, um, that she has a problem with memory loss. But she didn't have dementia. She just had 
mild cognitive insufficiency. It, it, the mild cognitive insufficiency is not dementia. It's a condition that we started to have short-term memory loss. But there is a chance of 5 to 15% that you may develop dementia in a year. But there are some of the, the causation of the mild cognitive insufficiency, insufficiency is uh, reversible. Like, for example, if you can find what is the reversible cause, if you do it, you may going to stay in mild cognitive insufficiency, never develop Alzheimer's dementia or any other kind of dementia for years. But there should be a strategy. Sometimes there are some, some other reason that you can find and you can reverse that. But again, always think about chance of 5 to 15% developing. She was diagnosed with uh, mild cognitive insufficiency, came to us for second opinion. We did our formal evaluations, all the tests, memory tests, the physical examination. Um, before she came, she actually got a second opinion from another doctor. She, she wants to get a second opinion from us. She, she saw another doctor outside. And the, and, and, and the, and the doctor prescribed a, one of the cognitive enhancer medication, which is as of, this is years ago. We're talking about 2013. But even today, 2022, there's no medication, even till today has proved to actually prevent the mild cognitive insufficiency um, toward the dementia. It hasn't. It has not, even till today. No, that medication that was prescribed is not indicated for that person, not at all. And when she came, she had a bottle in her hand. But just say, we just, I mean, we start to talk. And I just say, you know what, you have this problem. But your treatment is not that bottle of medication. Because the problem with that bottle of medication, they can increase risk of other side effects, including you're already suffering from significant urine incontinence. That makes it worse. And it's not going to help you with your memory at all. Your treatment is very simple. When you go back home, all you need to do is just find your phone book and open it up and find your friends. Call them and just tell them that I wanted to see you guys at least twice or two or three times a week. And when you go see them, don't be shy. Talk. And I just made an example. Be like Italian people. Do we have any Italian people in my... <laughs> talk and talk and talk. I mean, I love the Italian culture because they use their hands, and this is the best occupational therapy at the same time they do. And then um, this is amazing. That's exactly the way that you develop neurons. And then you help your brain to, be, to, to become active. Just, just talk. And, and then at the same time, turn off your TV. You're not going to get anything from TV. Believe me, it's not going to help you with memory or anything else. Turn it off, do exercise, and definitely uh, be active, which we know exercise is one of the major things that actually helps with developing more neurons in the brain and one of the strategies to actually do it. We help to prevention from dementia. And, um, and don't take any supplement. Don't take any vitamins. This is the way you need to live to have a lot of social engagement, comes to Commonwealth Club. I didn't know about that, but I just uh, encourage her to come and just learn and do a lot of learning um, and do that. And she, was, she looked at my eyes, and I never forget that because that's the story that's going to continue. But she looked at my eyes and said, I just wasted my time to wait it for a long time to come and see you. And then after one and a half hour, this is all you have for me. <laughs> that... Find my phone book exercise. And she left. And her daughter was there. She actually wrote a very bad letter after she left about me. And then later they said, what's wrong with you? It's just scaring all the patients. But uh, <laughs> nine months later, I was visiting in the nursing home. And it's just very interesting. I saw her daughter came to me. She was crying. Story short, 
She fell down 48 hours prior to the nursing home in the bathroom, broke hip, and the broken hip came to the emergency room and then finally ended up to nursing home. And, and then the story was very uh, uh, sad. After she left, obviously she didn't listen to any of our advice, and the only thing she did, she just went to the um, Bars and Nobles and got one of the crossword books, which I, I personally hate to do crosswords anyway, but uh, I can't do any one page. But she started to do this and um, not following any of them. But the second mistake happened. She started to take that medication. Her urine incontinence got worse. And when she, when she, she started to do uh, doctor shopping for, for her problem. And then the, the other doctors, without knowing that she's taking this medication, prescribe medication to help with her urine incontinence. Side effect of the, this medication is actually worsening of memory loss, confusion, change the balance, and as a consequence, she fell down, and she had a broken hip. When I saw her in the nursing home, she was completely demented in nine months. Just somebody that could leave in her apartment still for another, I will say, years. I mean, she could be in MCI for years. She just developed, and why is that? Because we, as a doctor, we intervene. Otherwise, if she had just a very simple lifestyle and don't listen to anything, so we and just, again, listen to some of the advice that I give it to her, but at least even she was searching the internet to see what the advice are, and she was doing much better. But this is not her. This is the problem that a lot of the population, aging population in the United States, they have. Um, we are suffering from drug cascade syndrome. If you hear that about that, drug cascade syndrome is exactly the same example that I share with you. I give medication A to, to the patient, has a side effect, come back to me. I think side effect of this medication is a new medical problem. I give medication B to, to cover the side effect of medication A. And then the medication B has a side effect. I'm given the medication uh, C to the patient. And just like a domino of the, uh, the medication, medication, medication. A lot of elderly people, when they come to emergency room, to the clinic, most of the medication they take is just a cascade. It's just we're giving to them to cover the side effect of it. Some of the side effects is, is absolutely accepted. Like somebody gets chemotherapy, we have to give the nausea medication because of the side effect. But we know that. These, this cascade is accepted. But many of cascade is not accepted. Let me tell you another story. This is also a funny story. Somebody came to me years ago with the weight gain. But his story is amazing. The guy was traveling a lot. And um, this, the, a couple of years ago, he had a sleep problem. He, got, he, he, he went to his doctor and got a sleeping medication to help him, a sleeping aid. He started to get a sleeping aid. When he was getting a sleeping aid, he becomes, during the day, he went, he went back to the doctor after a couple of months. So, you know, a sleeping aid sometimes helped me, but it makes me very tired during the day. I said, no problem. I give you a stimulant in the day that you take to cover that. Oh, they started to get a stimulant, which is like a caffeine medication, and they started to get the the stimulant medication. Side effect of a stimulant medication, he started to have palpitation. His heart rate started to race. Went back to the doctor and said, I feel my heart rate is racing and fast. He said, no worry, I'll give you medication to slowing your heart rate. The medication C was prescribed. The medication C side effect was feeling tired and fatigued. Went back to the doctor after a couple of years and diagnosed as depression and prescribed antidepressant medication, which the side effect was weight gain. No, the problem was weight gain, but if you look back on the chain, the story starts with just a simple sleeping aid medication. This is very common, unfortunately. 
And it just very and, and again we see that every single day. Emergency room, skilled nursing home, hospital, everywhere, clinics. And this is exactly the idea that I just say it is important that we change the mentality, both sides, from healthcare providers and also the patients. That we're not looking for quick fix for everything through the medication or any other thing. The other thing that's very interesting, fascinating, is about supplement and vitamins. I get always this question, what kind of vitamins I should take to have to be more healthier and, and, and live longer? And the answer is very straightforward, not coming from me. It's been a tons of meta-analysis of a study done everywhere in the world. The answer is none. Zero. There is no antibiotic. I mean, on vitamins, there's no herbal supplements that makes you to live longer and healthier, prevent you from cancer infection. And this is, the, the, this is not, again, of the, uh, all the um, and NIH had the meta-analysis done. Um, um, and, and again, and, and everything, all the um, um, institutes showing that there's no, some people need to take some vitamin D as that because of bone, which is true. All the women after age of menopause, they need to take um, uh, some dose of uh, vitamin D 800 international unit. And again, after a certain age, maybe up to 1000, if you need more, more, but not ex- exaggerated. And for men, sometimes the recommendation is actually taking after some sort of age, especially age of 70, some sort of vitamin D as well, around 600 international unit vitamin D. That said, vitamin A, B, C, E, K, multivitamin. I always amazed when I go to all this store, I see the nice bottles and there are tons of, I, I, honestly, I really don't know some of the other elements in there. I really have no idea what are them. No, no, let me tell you something about nutraceutical and supplements. You know that they, when they are selling anything in the market, I know all the nutraceutical and the herbal medication, everybody, they, they hate me when I say that this today, but when they're when they selling something in the market, have you ever looked at the bottle? They said, this is not FDA approved. The risk is on yours. means that technically for proving their products, they don't need to go to prove and having the articles or the study shows that, yes, this is effective, this is a side effect, this is... Like, for example, you see what happened when we have the COVID vaccine. You have the trials, you see the side effect, you have the control group, placebo group. No, zero, none of them. They don't need to prove anything. They just sell it. It's a very easy market. $70 billion a year market. It's good. It's a good market. But I just if somebody asks me that, is there helpful? The answer is no. As, as today, we know it's not helpful. The other thing is it's important to understand vitamins are two groups. Some of the vitamins are water-soluble vitamin, and some of the vitamins are fat-soluble vitamin. Water-soluble vitamins, they, 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 if no matter how much you take, you're all going to excrete it through the kidney. If you, for example, have a box of a strawberry you, and one strawberry, with one strawberry, you get 500 milligrams of vitamin C. You have a box of a strawberry. You can, you can eat all of them. It's good. It's a good fiber. But vitamin C, with the first strawberry, you get your 500 vit- milligram of vitamin C a day. The rest will go to the bathroom. That's it. That's, that's, that's a very simple. That's why a super vitamins for healthy aging and all this stuff, there's no science behind that. There's no science behind it. But, yeah, there's a good market. They're so good in the Internet, and they're wonderful, and they're making good money. But... Um, the other things when it comes to, here we go. Are we good? Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Um, 
The other things, when it got, oh, here it is. Um, the other things become, it's um, going to come with our healthcare system, which is, this is a very also important because this is exactly what I said, our aging population is growing as well. One of the things that it is important we also shake is how, as I said, quick fix, diagnostic, therapeutic. Um, the way that we spend money in our healthcare with the, exactly the same thing I explained to you, diagnostic, therapeutic. You come to me, I said, there's something wrong. Okay, let's go do CT scan, come back to see me. When I just say go, go to CT scan and come back to see me, it means that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. No. You may say, okay, well, that's diagnostic. It's so important. I want to do CT scan. I'm not saying don't want to do CT scan. But maybe I can touch you and examine you. And maybe I can look at you and say, well, you don't need CT scan, honestly. And even if you have the result in front of me, there's nothing we're going to do. I mean, if you just want to do the test to just confirm, go ahead and do that. But think about how much we spend money for all this diagnostic and therapeutic which none of them are going to be useful. The Congressional Budget Office in 2050 estimated that 5% of nation's gross domestic product, 700 billion per year, goes to the tests and procedures that do not improve the health outcome. That's a lot of money. Now, why, did, why do I bring it up? 85 years older is going to be growing. They have family member. One of the family member has to take care of the other loved one or relatives. They're all unpaid. Most of them, they're all unpaid. If you want to hire the caregiver in the country, think about the area. Do you know how much it costs? Above $30, $40 per hour. No. Is it coming from your Medicare? No. It's coming from your pocket. No. The, the, on the other side, you need something to help you with quality of life. Let me tell you an example. Years ago, I was being asked to see a gentleman that who was very delirious and confused in the, in the hospital. And he asked me to go to see as a delusional situation to see if he can give medication. Story was so sad. He had very advanced dementia. He was living in boarding care. He has colon cancer at the same time. He fell down one night in boarding care. They took him to the emergency room. They found he has bradycardia, which is a slow heart rate. They, want, they put the pacemaker for him in the morning. And then he become, during the pacemaker, he was agitated, he was pulling the IV, he was throwing everything to the nurses. And again, we just have to give him some medication. This gentleman died two to three weeks later. No, it was absolutely, it was great. It was like really peace. But think about the money that we spend for transferring him with 911 to the hospital, for putting the pacemaker, running the blood test, and just putting the pacemaker for somebody that we know that he's going to die anyway, in the matter of the months or weeks. If this money, but the family paying for board and care from out of their pocket, is that money that we spend that for that purpose, can we use it in the other way for elderly population? This is not a U.S. problem. This is everywhere. We are doing a lot of spending money for, let me tell you, anti-aging products. Let's talk about Asia, Japan, China, and South Korea. The amount of money they're paying for, the, the spending for 
um, um, anti-aging products, any kind of anti supplements, skin products, anything, um, and, 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 and many other medical centers for anti-aging. It's billions and billions of dollars. Just before pandemic, go look at the Google, look at the BBC um, um, news. Just in January 2019, the, the, one of the very sad stories in Japan was, was published, that most of Japanese elderly people they intentionally do crime to go to jail because they cannot afford to leave. They cannot afford to leave. They're out of their retirement. They politely go and take the bicycle and they'll go to police station and say, I did that, please take me to the jail. The number of the suicide in Japan in elderly people is just significant. You don't hear it in the news, but there are in the news. But think about the money that they spend for anti-aging, it's like aging is the germ, is a microbe. We have to fight with it. It just, um, it, 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 and again, I always saying mentality of anti-aging society. That's horrible. Every time when I see anti-aging, whatever it says anti-aging, it just makes me very irritated. Why we are against anti-aging? What's wrong with aging? We all age every single day. From the 5.30 we started this program till now we all age. That's Okay. The why we should be against is aging. For everything we do against aging, I agree with living longer and healthier and independent, but not for anti-aging. And there are and this problem. And look at our country right now. If we spend the money that we spend for healthcare, if we can spend this money to provide caregiver for elderly people, they they maybe need a wheelchair, they maybe need a bed, they may need more physical therapy which is actually can help them to live better, more independent. Do you know how much Medicare cut physical therapy every single year? If you, have, if you want to do MRI, you can do tomorrow, no problem. If you want to do a, a, the procedure tomorrow, but if you want to do physical therapy, which it can help you significantly, they don't pay for it. They cut it quickly. Where are we going with this healthcare system? If we are going to have in 2030, it's not a long time from today. It's only six years. And do we have to shake our health care? Again, if, if, that's, if you want to answer from me, I'm the wrong person that you pro- invited because I'm not a politician. I'm not an uh, economist as well. But I can tell as a geriatrician is definitely a wrong way that we are going, absolutely a wrong way. And I can see that in the, in the future, um, especially with inflation rate, I mean, definitely we're going to have um, a, 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 every single day uh, people are enrolling in Medicare starting from 2011, as you probably hear that. Um, and this, 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 this crisis will be more and more, unless if we are, as both sides, healthcare plus the patients or plus the people, we do something to really have a better, um, um, again, to, 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 to help with this uh, situation. The other thing that is very interesting, and I wanted to give some time for a question and answer, um, it's about focus on mental health. Um, I, I, I share with you that the majority of the places, like we call it uh, the, the blue zone area, that they have um, the, the longevity, one of the major things that they are they're, they're living longer because of the lot of the mental and social support that they have. They are happier. Very simple. They're happier. 
Um, if you look at the Sardinian Italy, you always say, okay, what's going on? They always have prosciutto and then Chianti and the, and the dinner. I mean, think about it. If I have like a, um, if, if, if I'm as a U.S. doctor looking at their plate, they say, oh my God, pasta, prosciutto, Chianti. Your, your bad cholesterol is so high, but they do well. They don't need me at all. And there is a reason because when they eat, they're all eating on one table for all the people sitting and they're chatting, they're talking. They don't look at their t- cell phone and texting to, each, to, to somebody else. They're enjoying to be together. All the f- multi-generations, they're sitting all together. That's exactly the secret. This is the same secret that I know, I, I never appreciated, but when I become geriatrician, came to the United States, did my training and started with, I actually found this is exactly the way of healthy aging. That's all interaction that we can have together. And this is... Ex- and, and I don't, and I, unfortunately, unfortunately, the COVID-19 taught us this lesson very painfully. Before pandemic, if you invited me before pandemic, and I was speaking of that, I said, oh, come on, just everybody knows, be happy, okay, but this is probably another doctor wants to find a subject to speak about something. But when pandemic happened, and every, all of, every single of us went to isolation, and I actually could see in this, every single of my patients in a nursing home, in their eyes, the how much they're suffering from this loneliness, when the family member is not able to even visit them, when a lot of the elderly people have been isolated in their houses, and they were not able to, to even communicate with anyone. The loneliness and depression from pandemic made our aging population to decline significantly. After pandemic, the, nat- the, the type of patient that I actually see in my clinic every day, and I can, I can, the people that I saw them in 2019 till 2020, they're not the same person in 2022. They're much more older, just in two years. And there's only one reason, because of pandemic, because of loneliness, because of depression and isolation, and being scared. No, that's true in everywhere, you know. The message that we have in March, not actually March, in April toward um, um, June in 2020 was so scary all around the world. You're probably here in Europe. The many times in Europe, like in Madrid, in Spain, you know in the news, they went to the nursing home, they found all the elderly people, they died of COVID and nobody even able to take their body. You know that all the ambulance in many of cities in Italy and Spain, they were not able to, they actually do selective when they call in and just say somebody has respired to disrupt COVID, the first question is how old is that person? If they are above six years old, they, they couldn't. They say, okay, well, let them to be there. And they have to move the uh, younger. But this message was a scary. was a scary for many of us, many of the elderly people. I'm as a geriatrician. It was a, the same thing happened in many, many areas, some, some days in New York as well when it was epicenter. No, we are in post-pandemic, but we learn a lot of lessons from this pandemic. The number one lesson we learn from this COVID-19 is exactly the same message. Depression and loneliness. No, that's perfect. What do we do? Do we have any healthcare system providing the care or support for mental health? Zero. I mean, look at California. California is the highest number of aging population in the United States. Everybody thinks Florida has. No, it's California is number one. Texas is number two. And, 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 and um, 
is actually um, um, what we do in California. Do we have do we have a geriatric psychologist that they they build Medicare and you can actually see them if you feel depressed? Good luck to find them. Do we have geriatric psychiatrists? We, don't, we don't really don't have geriatric psychiatrists. I'm not saying because we really have a shortage of programs. But we, we do not. Do we have some sort of community? Yes, we do. But there are a struggling. The community that seniors can go, and at least they can group, they, as a group they can talk to each other. They can find this way to speak about their loneliness and they may find friends, and they can do some activities. Yes, we do. We have some of the good programs, but they're all struggling finance financially. Probably most of them, they will be closed. Then what are we going to do in California with this aging population? It's a very good question. I, again, I don't know the answer. But, uh, but I just want to say that reality is everything we talk about health, the, the healthy aging is really depends on how we are interacting and how we, we're doing um, with, with our mental health and physical health at the same time. And again, the combination of these two is exactly what is the key for, for better healthy aging situation. Um, again, you may going to say, oh, okay, that's so easy. I can look at the Google and just say exercise every day, talk. But is it, is it in a true action? Can I have the program? Can I talk to my doctor about it? Can I next time when I go to my doctor, which is very interesting, it's, it's, it's one of the advice that I always have to my patient. Take your medication list to your doctor and say, tell me about medication 1 to 10. What happens if I don't medication number 1? Am I going to die? The doctor should have an answer. If they say, I don't know, you, you're taking it, I just refill it for you. <laughs> That means that we don't have a good answer. It's very important. Always have this answer. If I don't take this medication, am I going to die or not? That's going to be a good focus. The goals of the treatment. That's my last message. What we are treating. What are we doing? This is a very simple. I've seen many times. I, I shared this, uh, this story. Many times I'm just going to go see a patient who is born in a scheme, really born in a scheme, lying in bed. And they, what they're doing, they're crushing medications and they're giving, putting in applesauce and they're just putting in the mouth to, to swallow. Look at the medication, what they're giving, cholesterol medication. For somebody that has no fat, is only born in a scheme. Why? Because we wanted to prevent a stroke in the next 10 years. <laughs> that person is dying in a couple of weeks, probably a month. What's the goal of this cholesterol medication? What we are preventing now? Stroke? Where is the stroke? This person is dying from just, just the situation. There's no goals. We don't have any goal. We should have a goal. If I give a prescription for a cholesterol medication, yes, I should strongly say, based on your life expectancy, I'm going to give it to you because your 10 years life expectancy and the risk factors, you need to take this medication to prevent a stroke. If I don't have this number, that means you need to think again about that. Is it the right things or not? Now, it's 20 minutes. I just wanted to stop here, and uh, I wanted to thank you so much for being here, listening to my boring conversation, <laughs> but I appreciate it. And... Uh, Thank you. We have time for questions. Yes, please. So, yeah. Thank you very much for your comments. You've given us a lot to think about. Oh, you're welcome. Could you say a few words about food and nutrition for the aging population? That's, that's a wonderful question. It's about food and nutrition. Um, 
there is there's this true that what we call is healthy diet. And the healthy diet, a lot of people think, if I will be vegetarian tomorrow, it means healthy diet. The answer is no. It's actually, as I said, like, for example, all this um, area that the people live longer, they're not vegetarian. But they're, the, the, um, the, when they eat, they have balanced diet. Majority of their diets are like vegetables, fresh vegetables. But it doesn't mean that they don't eat meat, they don't eat chicken, they don't eat fish. No, that's not the, that's not the case. Um, we talk about balanced diet. The balanced diet is exactly what we're always learning. Some carbohydrates, some protein, some fat, which is some of the fat is actually good for, for, for people. And um, some um, uh, and majority of them will be grain-based and vegetables as well. Major, majority of this plate will be that. Now, it's a very good question because a lot of people say, okay, well, if we, if we talk about balanced diet, if you go today to one of these fast food places, and you just order a burger. Is this a balanced diet? Yes, it's a balanced diet. If the quality of oil that they're making the oil, the meat is okay, the bread has carb, the meat has protein, you probably have a tomato and uh, maybe a lettuce that you get vitamin C and fiber, and here it is. You're, you're good. You're good to go. That's the balanced diet. That's a good balanced diet. But again, the problem is the way that they cook the meat, and then again, it's just the fat and saturated fat. But if you if you do the same things at home, you can actually have the good balanced diet anyway. The ba- again, the, you can get all the vitamins and everything you need. It. That's why the the when it comes to diet, a lot of people talk talk about okay, this is the diet for aging population. This is a healthy diet. We should make all vegetables in the shake every morning to give it to all the older adult people. The answer is, yeah, they're so good, but we have to also make sure that they can tolerate that. Um, I, I, I think I wrote somewhere that too much fiber is actually going to be um, not healthy for older people because they don't have ability to digest this. Just think about that. You put all the vegetables in the shake and suddenly to give to someone at 83 or 85 years old. I mean, they need a lot of the bacteria and the intestinal to really digest these fibers. Plus, as we're getting older, we really have, we are overall dehydrated. We need to drink a lot of, of water and liquid. If you take a lot of fibers and you do not hydrate yourself, you're actually going to end up with more constipation. And it's actually worsening the problem. That means the shake that you had, yes, you got a lot of vitamins, but you end up with more problem. Again, when we're looking at the all the around the world, the people are living healthier and longer. They're not necessarily have all these shakes and uh, any of these recipes and the books and all the stuff that the commercial is selling. Balanced diet, I think every single human by instinct can find their own balanced diet. You can enjoy a glass of wine, and that should be okay. But I, I, I really think one of, the perp, one of the trick about the Mediterranean diet, which is, again, Mediterranean diet is, by the way, is one of the best diet that helps with the brain. But one part is always making the comments about it. When, when you have the best tray of Mediterranean diet, the best tray, you have best olives, you have the best um, 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 uh, wine, high-quality Chianti, and all this food, if you have this tray and you're just sitting by yourself and eating it, it's not going to work. I cannot have any scientific way to, 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 to really tell you. But if you have this tray in front of your friend and you're enjoying to be with, uh, to speaking to each other 
and having the wine and the speak at the same time, you develop more neurons at the same time. You're really enjoying to have this meal together. This is the secret, one of the major secrets of Mediterranean diet. Just be in the same atmosphere together. Hey, Adi, we have a question back here. Please. I've read all these things about multivitamins are a waste. You're just supposed to eat properly and all that. Then you read things from, quote, scientific companies who put out newsletters that if you have inflammation, take turmeric. If you have this, take something else. And as you say, you go to the drugstore and the whole alphabet is filled with those. And I know that they're not, there's no science, there's no FDA approval and all that. Uh, do any of those things work? I mean, some of the, the information is coming from Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland Clinic and right. people, people like that. Yes, that's a great question about, like, for example, turmeric. Now, let me tell you about turmeric because I'm originally, again, as I said, I'm coming from Middle East area, and uh, turmeric is one of the major spices that every single food, every single Persian food, it has turmeric in it. It's very interesting. When I was a kid, I was seeing that people even use the turmeric when they have broken bone and just putting on their um, area. And I remember my grandma was putting always turmeric around the knee. True. Turmeric has anti-inflammatory. There's no question. Do you need to exactly get turmeric in the pills form and take it? Or you can buy the turmeric and adding to your food when you cook it. There's true. The turmeric has anti-inflammatory. But my question is, it's very important. It's about trust. Do you trust this nutraceutical company that when they get the turmeric extract, they have this amount of turmeric in their pills? Do you need this amount of the turmeric in their pills? Nobody has the answer to this question. There's no, there's no, there's a lot of things that actually has anti-inflammatory nature, which is true. Because again, there are a lot of other medication that we use it in pharmaceutical, they're coming from nature base, but they, the chemical they found them from nature and they're making as a medication. Um, but the answer is yes, turmeric is anti-inflammatory. There's no, there's no question. I completely agree. But there's no study shows that, for example, showed up till today, like for example, this amount of turmeric if you take, it helps you with arthritis. Where somebody has rheumatoid arthritis, do you need to have this amount of turmeric a day? Um, look at the study, where they are running this study. Is it the study is supported by companies, manufacturing? It's very important. If you, if you find that way, you're kind of questioning about this is real, real study. Is it, is it the a, a, a clinical trial? that they have a placebo versus a control group, and they have a turmeric, and see, yeah, the people of turmeric, they do much better versus the placebo, they don't have a turmeric. This, the high-quality study, this is what I'm talking. Yes, if you look at the internet, I mean, you get the TV, especially when the time is the football or something, you see all kind of uh, prevagen, help with the memory, and they show the chart, and they say, oh, wow, this is so impressive. But when you look at the study, this is a very low quality study. It's a solid single study and just a very slow, really don't know who runs this study. It's not, the, it's not even published in the peer journal review as well. I mean, um, I, I kind of questioning about the quality of the study. Again, I'm not a paranoid person. I'm just saying that I'm kind of like think twice, especially why we have a lot of these products in the, in the market. Um, think twice about every single. But yes, I suggest if you're really in turmeric, Use the turmeric and in your food. It's actually delicious. If you know how to cook it, go look at the, some of the recipes in the Middle Eastern area. They use turmeric as anti-inflammatory. It's so, it's very delicious. And you enjoy it. And it has anti-inflammatory as well. Yeah. 
please. Um, well, we actually have a question from the, a viewer on the internet. So we have 11 minutes left. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, he asks, do doctors with other specialties learn about drug interactions? Um, f- no. The answer is very straight. <laughs> no. Yeah. Even, even I want to say that I'm as a geriatrician, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I haven't been learned about that. I just, I learned through the work of being a geriatrician through these years about a drug interaction. And, and because the, the, the population that I'm taking care of, they're very vulnerable to side effect. That's why we become more interested. Geriatrician, uh, overall, they're so focused on what we call polypharmacy, means taking multiple medication, and we were more focused on that. But honestly, there's not. Um, and it's very interesting because even the pharmacists that they're supposed to help, uh, the physician about the, this, um, they also... Um, they also not they, they are they're they're great help, but it's kind of like the way they're looking is kind of like template. Like for example, if you go to a pharmacy, they have a template system, and you say drug drug interaction. They call the doctors and say, by the way, doctor, this is a drug drug interaction. This is perfect for drug drug interaction. But for polypharmacy, for taking too many medication, pharmacists should be more helpful. They are not yet. But it, at least I, think, I, I have to say that many times, like for example, in the nursing home environment, I actually get a lot of help from the pharmacists. They can help us a lot to do it really need to, what is the goal of the treatment and all this stuff. They can be helpful. But, um, but that also needs to be changed. Pharmacists can be ext- a very great help for physicians as well to kind of understanding about the drugs as well. Thank you. Um, I heard a few days ago on NPR that uh, part of the effects of isolation and COVID with teenagers has aged their brain three years faster, and they will follow up when they hit 20. And I'm just wondering what you see uh, or might imagine or aging or whatever. It means a teenager, they, 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 their brain age faster during Three the years. Three years. Yeah. Yeah. That's if a, they're that, 12, 13, 14, yeah, from that's, isolation and no school and whatever. Probably school was the reason that their <laughs> <laughs> their brain. Maybe we should revise in our school and curriculum and school education about it. But um, it's very interesting about um, aging brain. There's a difference between aging brain um, and again, one of the one of these very interesting things about that when the brain, I'm not saying stress is good, but change the lifestyle can actually change the way that or neurons going to be developed. But it's it's the, the the way the brain is going, the the way the body is actually going, especially the brain. The brain and neurons start to producing, 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 and after a certain age, start to decline. Exactly. 24 is exactly age. It's like age of, the technically, we go up, up, up to 25, and suddenly we start to go down. A lot of people, they always say, oh, aging brain is started when you enroll in Medicare. The answer is no. When you are 25 years old, that's the aging brain is started. But, um, and, and that's the way they actually, it does. And, but for, for after age of 25, we actually lose more neurons a day. And that's every single decade has actually happened. Like, for example, if, 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 if a younger person is losing like 30 billions of neurons a day because of what we call apoptosis or an auto-program to dying, for us after the age of 25, is like 50 to 60 billions a day of losing neurons. 
But we are still producing neurons, even we are at 100 years old, but we're losing it faster. Unless if we really, as I said in all the conversation, we, we keep the neurons alive, which is technically, it will be more challenge. No, to speaking of challenge, why this is important. The, I, I, I'm not a neuroscientist, but what, what of my... One of my impression about it, that maybe the teenager, during the pandemic, they have more challenge of the learning and also change the environment of their life. That helps the brain actually age better because they're being kind of like spoiled teenagers, everything is set, and now suddenly the lifestyle has been changed. Now, let me tell you about that because like when we talk about the brain, this is not a topic for today, but we talk about brain aging. Maybe you guys can invite me one more time for <laughs> aging brain. But in, in, in oh, so we have six minutes. Uh, when, we, when they're looking at the, why, why the challenge is helpful for brain, in 2000, in, uh, in the United Kingdom, they wanted to look at what profession they have a bigger brain. When the bigger is actually, they have the better hippocampal area, which is a center for learning and memory. Physicians were not on part of that. And politician definitely was the worst, they were the worst one. But taxi driver in London, they have the biggest brain in London. And do you know why? Because when they, for the, when they were driving a taxi in London, it's a big challenge. And then it's very interesting, four years later, they compare bus driver in London versus taxi driver. And they found bus driver has a smaller brain because they're, yeah, the go station A, B, they don't have any challenge. And this is exactly happening to all of, to all of us. When, when, when you come and listen to my boring talk today, and you just kind of te technically develop more neurons because you're learning something. And when you discuss this tomorrow with your friends and you find a way, you just kind of go, okay, what are we going to do? This is the way that we develop neurons, the challenge. And I believe because the teenager was at the age that they're producing tons of neurons, suddenly the lifestyle has changed to, to the challenge. That makes the brain to age bigger compared to the in the past. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. But again, I can't be wrong because, again, I'm not a neuroscience scientist, but I'm just saying as a, as a point of view as a geriatrician. Hi, I'm just curious uh, what advice and policy recommendations you've given to the congressional committee that you advise. And uh, part two is, uh, do they listen to your advice or do you see any hope that, uh, you know, how M Medicare and government programs are administered, um, whether they will evolve and change in the right direction? That's a great question. Yeah, no, um, again, i I mean, I, I testify in Senate and exactly with the same topic that we're talking about, challenges, lack of education. And, and, and again, um, we need to expand for geriatric. And many other uh, people from um, um, American Geriatric Society, my, co my colleague from Public Policy Committee as well, we're just continuously talking about it. What I can tell you for sure, I was kind of hesitant to go first for to in the testimony in Senate because oh, what's the point of just go to speak about it? But the, the interesting, most of the senators also are aging as well themselves. <laughs> and they are in the area that majority of the people vote for them is actually aging population. And it's very interesting because most of voters actually in the country is not younger people, is actually the geriatric population. And I I believe that they are hearing, and I can tell you that we have a two years of COVID, which has definitely paused everything in the country. 
But I can, I, I can see that from, I will say 2015, 16, 17, 18, a lot of things is actually um, has been changed to the better. Like, for example, they're spending some money to, to, to a scholarship for geriatric in the schools. They are doing gradually. They are, they're providing some programs for, um, again, uh, um, uh, paid for the family, for the caregiver's family as well. Th- these are the things are developing. Now, it's very slow. Because the way that we see aging populations growing, they need to be faster. One thing that I can say, um, which is sadly, um, when it comes to the politics, I don't know if you guys and anyone, maybe you correct me. I listened to all the debates from President Obama, President Trump, and President Biden. I never, ever found any questions that one of them, asked one of them from the candidate, do you have any program for aging population in the United States? They talk about everything. I mean, I mean, Russian involvement and all this stuff. I was just, I was just sitting to say, can somebody ask this question? What's your plan? I mean, President Biden also is a geriatric person. Uh, President Trump also was a geriatric. Is anybody asked this? What's your plan? And I think this is a very I mean, and one message you, you may going to get from this discussion. Maybe you're going to go to your representative and just say, what's your plan for, for, for better care of geriatric population in the next 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years? With the way that we are going, the way the aging population is growing, what's your plan? They should have an answer. No, the reason I said... From the beginning, and I because of the timing and two fifteen minutes, I know the common club is uh, not going to be happy. But when I said about it's important to discuss about it, because when I said that number of aging population in developing countries is growing, Africa and Asia, that will be a problem for us. And what is the problem for us? Technically, who are taking care of our older adult people right now in this country? People from Africa and Asia. Is that correct? No. In the next 15, 20 years, probably next 10 years, if they have a significant aging population, do you think that they're able to send the younger people to taking care of older people in developed countries? The answer is no. You probably hear, prior to pandemic, the government of Germany, for all the years, the number one priority for immigrants to come to their country was software engineer, computer engineering. They changed it. If you are qualified to take care of the seniors, you're number one, they give you the, 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 the permanent residency and they, they, you can actually give you money. And you can, why? Because the government in Germany knows that they need these people because they have a huge number of aging. Why, what is the reason that Germany accepted a lot of refugees from the Middle East and Syria? Young people. Because for aging population, they need people to taking care of them. And... We have a lot of things. Again, wrong person. I'm not a politician. Immigration law in the country. What will be the future? If we are talking about $35.40 per hour for a for, for caregiver, I can guarantee you this number in the next two years will be $100 per hour. The salary of people taking care of aging population will be higher than nurse and the physician in this country. Wow. And that's going to be... <laughs> Uh, one of the other crises that we need to think. That's why I highly, I love your question. I highly encourage everyone. I wish I could do it more, but I think every single of us, we at least we can go to, to our representative politicians and say, what's your program? What, what exactly are you going to do? This is a huge crisis. 
And if you're spending for, for healthcare and other stuff, we should have a good balance, especially with this um, uh, problem that we have. We are at the zero time. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so Dr. much. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.